Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6. We finish our study through the book of Galatians and what a ride it's been. Remember, a problem that arose in the church in Galatia was the seduction into the law. The saints were being seduced. The saints were being seduced by the spy. Remember in chapter 2 verse 4, this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, liberty which we have in Christ Jesus and their whole purpose that they might bring us into bondage. Now, when Paul refers to such people, he says also in chapter 2, but the very next verse in verse 5, Speaking of Paul, his entourage, those who are with him. Now, remember, when I say entourage, remember our study through the Corinthian letters. It's not like what you see in this world, how you see like celebrities, they have their entourage. It's nothing like that. Paul's entourage, his bubble, it's the next generation, yes, of righteousness, but the next generation of pastors, ministry leaders, deacons, bishops, the next generation of church leadership. And he says in verse 5, Regarding these people, false brethren, the Sudadelphos, who were secretly brought in to bring us into bondage, he says, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, which translates as even for an instant. You see, oh yeah, he's got this, he's got that. He looks like a preacher guy. He's got his, he went into seminary. He, uh, he has his doctorate in theology. That's nice. What is he saying? What is he teaching? You see? Because, you know, these guys, imagine the saints in Galatia. Did they have this understanding of Scripture to understand that what these people were doing was bringing them into bondage? They did not. They bought into it hook, line, and sinker. And for Paul, he says, we didn't yield submission even for an hour, even for an instant. He says in verse 6, those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something, they added nothing to me. What is it that these guys bring to the table? Yeah, they look like the preacher guy. They got the seminary. They got their degree. They got this in theology. They got this, that. But what is it that they're teaching and what is it that they bring to the table of the truth of Holy Scripture? And if there is no alignment with the truth of Holy Scripture, you know what we do? We get rid of it. We get rid of it. And the saints in Galatia did not have that understanding to know, wait a second, we're not supposed to be circumcised in the flesh. Wait a minute. We're not supposed to do the works of Moses in accordance to the law of Moses. They did not have that. Remember when we looked at last week or several weeks ago in chapter 4, verse 21, Paul says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? You see, do you not hear the law? This is similar deafness than that of the Pharisees when the, the Pharisees were talking to Jesus Christ. The fulfillment of the law and the promise were of Moses. We do the law of Moses. We're hardcore. And Jesus Christ says, how can you? Because, because Moses wrote about me. That's what Jesus Christ says. Moses wrote about me. But yet these Pharisees were deaf. They didn't have ears to hear. They didn't have the eyes to see and understand that the law itself is the additive. And so now that the saints in Galatia are having this deeper understanding by 
Teacher Paul, Pastor Paul, now that they have this deeper understanding of exactly what the law is, a schoolmaster, a tutor, remember we studied this? All of a sudden, now what? Now what? How? With this understanding, how do we use this understanding for the edification of the saints and the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry? How do we continue to move forward, not backward? How do we continue to move forward? And here we are in chapter 6, Galatians, verse 1. Brethren, if any man is overtaken in any trespass, let's pause here for a moment. If any man is overtaken in any trespass, and overtaken here is to be caught, to be captured. I like to think of military terms, POWs, prisoners of war. If any man is overtaken, caught as a prisoner of war in any trespass, any trespass, works of the flesh, you know, uh, the, the what we look at in, in uh, Luke chapter 8, how what happens with that seed and, you know, the, uh, 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 the, the lure of the world and uh, uh, turning away and falling away. And what happens when that seed, when it goes, what happens with the seed when it goes inside somebody's ear? Does it make its way to its heart? And if it makes its way to the heart, then all of a sudden, you know, is it pulled out by Satan? Is it pulled out by the desires of the world, the desires of the flesh, the cares of the world? What happens to that seed? But these these are all things that lead up to trespassing, trespasses, sin, the carnal nature. And Paul says, if any, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, look what he says. You who are spiritual, let's pause here again. You who are spiritual, which translates as you who are non-carnal. You know what this tells us today? The church today is in trouble. The church today is in trouble because of the rise of carnality, the rise of the flesh, the rise of the carnal nature, the rise of carnal thinking. You who are spiritual, which means you who are non-carnal. In order to be non-carnal, it requires a renewing of the mind. And that only comes through relationship. Religion cannot do that. The law cannot do that. It just so happens we studied this on Wednesday and in the past several Wednesdays in our study through the Old Testament, through Deuteronomy. How the law itself has limitations. You know, to like the law of Moses, you will must abhor what the Lord abhors. You must detest the things that the Lord detests. That doesn't come through the law. It, it's of the heart. It's of the mind that is so rendered to the Lord. And it's supernatural. Remember, the law has loopholes. Now, sometimes I talk to the Hebrew Roots Movement people and they're like, whoa, how dare you say that the law has loopholes? Listen, I'm just the messenger because in Hebrews 8, in Hebrews 8 verse 7 says this, if that first covenant, the law of Moses, Hebrews 8 verse 7, if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. And we know as new covenant believers that that first law, which is still holy, but it's the lesser glory. And it's a tutor, a schoolmaster. 
And that first covenant, the law of Moses, it has loopholes to make way for the better covenant, the second covenant, and that of Jesus Christ. Remember, the law is the additive until the seed, and the seed is now here. It's very of utmost importance for us to understand this, because this seduction into the law, it's satanic. It's evil. And it's done by the servants of Satan who present themselves as ministers of righteousness. Remember, we studied this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says this in verse 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds, not the body, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Now, there is such a thing as the obedience of the mind. People think, oh, I'm disobedient. I'm disobedient. Why? Oh, look at the works of the flesh. My hands did this. My feet took me here. My hands did this and all these things. And okay, yes, that's works of the flesh. But you know what's even deeper? Works of the flesh. What goes on in the mind? Because where the feet go, where the uh, hand, what the hands do and where the feet go, that is a result of where the mind goes. The mind, the mind of the Christian should be in obedience to the Lord. Second, second Corinthians chapter 10, verse five, to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Philippians four, verse eight, what we meditate on you and me as born again believers, what goes on in our mind, whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. That is the mind that our minds need to be on, not the things of the flesh. Because if our minds are on the sex and the drugs and the alcohol and all these things, the, the things of the flesh, not of the spirit, if that's where our mind is, then it's only a matter of time before our feet follow and our hands do. You know, the, where the feet go and what the hands do, that is indeed a sin. I mean, it, speaking carnally, if, if, if that's where the, the flesh is taking a person, then... But before that, hit the rewind button to where the feet go and what the hands do. Hit the rewind button. What's going on in the mind of a man, in the mind of a woman, in the mind of a boy, in the mind of a girl, in the mind of an old guy, in the mind of an old lady? What's going on inside the temple? You see, and when that happens, remember, when obedience happens in the mind, in the heart, deep in the marrow, in service to the Lord, not a works-based salvation, obedience unto him. When that happens, which is entirely supernatural, it also opens the door up, the biblical ability. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 6 now. The biblical ability, now in continuation to verse 1, the biblical ability to restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Do you see what's happening here? And this restoration, this word for to restore is to mend, equip, and repair. A lot of times people think, okay, that's the pastor's job. Yes, that's one of many jobs of a pastor. And I say jobs, but it's re biblical responsibility. One of many responsibilities of the pastor. People say, oh, that's the elder's job. That's the bishop's job. That's the deacon's job. Yes, absolutely. 
but it's not reserved specifically for the ministry leaders. You remember when we studied in our uh, studies through the, the Corinthian letters and how many times did you hear us say to make the distinction between worker and field? You see, to make the distinction between field and worker because the saints, the pew Christians, so to speak, that's the field, God's building. And there are workers to make the distinction. Remember when Paul says, you guys are like kings and we're the scum of the earth. We're like trash, you see, of himself and his entourage, the workers. Why? Because they die. They're persecuted. But then at the same time, when we make these distinctions, it's like, wait a second. Okay, so I'm a pew Christian. How do I get into ministry? How do I enter ministry? Well, you know what step one is? The obedience of mind. Because when you have obedience of mind, comes the cleanliness of mind, the cleanliness of heart, the cleanliness of feet, the cleanliness of hands. You see? And when you have that, and it's all supernatural. It's not like, you know, you go and wash your hands. But spiritually, to be changed into the image of Christ. And that takes time. That takes time. But when you reach that point, you might be already there. Then you are biblically qualified to restore, to mend, to equip, and to repair. It is not only for pastors. It is not only for elders. It is not only for bishops and deacons and ministry leaders. It is for all believers who are non-carnal. You see? All believers who are non-carnal. Now, if you're a believer and you're carnal and you attempt to mend and equip and repair, if you are carnal, you're walking according to the flesh, you are biblically unqualified to mend, equip, and repair. Unqualified. Why? Because you have to, remember, the work is done in, then, through. We studied that in Corinthians, remember? In, then, through. It's like, say, for example, you're filthy, you're covered in mud, and you have a little boy who's covered in mud, been playing around in the dirt, and you're going to give this baby, you're going to give your little boy a bath when you yourself are dirty, and you're going to tell your son, oh, look, son, you got to be clean, you got to be clean when you yourself are dirty. No, you know what that's called? Hypocrisy. And that is definitely not good. Hypocrisy. Listen to our study through Romans 1 and 2. Hypocrisy is not good. You see? Only the dead. When I say dead, I mean dead in Christ. Reckoning the old man dead, the old woman dead. Only the dead, the crucified can correct. Only the crucified can correct. Because when you have that, you have no hypocrisy. It is done in a godly manner. That's why we say the church today is in trouble. Because look at verse 1. If any man is overtaken in any trespass, a POW, a prisoner of war, caught. You who are spiritual, you who are non-carnal, restore such a one. Mend, equip, and repair such a one. You see? Now, just that alone right there, the church today is in trouble. If you are listening and you fully understand that you are carnal, stop. Be carnal no more. Purpose in your heart. And remember, we have 
the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which cries out in our hearts, Abba, Father. Remember our study in chapter 4 and verse 6? Because you are sons, God has sent forth His Spirit, the Spirit of His Son, into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. God's Spirit inside of you, inside of me. And Jesus calls Him the Helper, capital H, the Helper. And the Holy Spirit helps us. The spirit is at war with the flesh, the carnal nature. You and me, we have to yield to the Holy Spirit. You see, yield to the word of God. And the Holy Spirit of the Lord will never deviate from the word of God and will never deviate from the new covenant. People say, oh, well, listen, the, the Holy Spirit is leading me to do the works of the law. That's not the Spirit of the Lord. That's a different spirit because the Spirit leads to Jesus Christ to abide in the new covenant. Oh, but the Holy Spirit is leading me to observe the Sabbaths, the days, the months, the years, the feasts, the festivals. No, that's another spirit. That is not the Spirit of the Lord. Remember in what we looked at in Galatians chapter uh, uh, chapter 4? In verse 10, you observe the days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. You see, Satan uses the Bible to trick believers. Because, I mean, in our study in through the Torah, you know, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you know, you see things that are pleasing to the Lord. But as new covenant believers, we understand, oh, wait a second. These are, this is Israel according to the flesh, according to the flesh. You see, now it begs the question, how do we get from flesh to spirit? You see, death is required. You see, death to the old nature. You and me carrying our cross, reckoning the old man dead, reckoning the old woman dead, and being crucified with Christ. A lot of times Christians, we say, oh, I'm crucified with Christ, I'm crucified with Christ, because the Bible says I'm crucified with Christ. Yes, it says that, but don't forget it's Paul who writes that. We read the book of Acts, we read his letters, and we know he's a dead guy. He's crucified. It's not to say that that is not for us. It is absolutely for us if we are crucified with Christ. We can't just proclaim it. Oh, I'm crucified with Christ. Come on, let's go to the strip club. Oh, I'm crucified with Christ. Come on, let's go get baked tonight. I got the finest meth from Chiapas, Mexico. Come on, I'm crucified with Christ. No, there's no death. I don't see a dead guy. I don't see a dead gal. You see? Oh, you're teaching workspace. It's not workspace. It's called obedience. Obedience. Now you understand why we say the church today is in major trouble? Because there's not a lot of non-carnal people in the church today. Not a lot. We're living in very divisive times. Politically speaking, there are all different kinds of pulls and uh, struggles within within just a family. I mean, consider Thanksgiving. You know, just so you know, I teach from America and, you know, we have, you know, Thanksgiving and, you know, certain countries don't have the, the same holidays as, you know, just say a family get together. 
a family get-together, such as Thanksgiving, where, you know, aunts, uncles, cousins, relatives, every friends even, everybody comes together. Now, talk politics, see what happens. You see? And we have all these different factions pulling people away. But what's happening in the church is that what, it, what, it, it, the saints, you're starting to see the rise of the carnal nature. The rise of the carnal nature. Instead of being crucified with Christ, you're seeing the rise of the carnal nature. Which means what? It's not, you know, as an American, I'm an American, I teach from America, I'm an American citizen, I love the Constitution, I love this country, especially the history of this country, like, you know, there's good parts and bad parts about our, our history, but in the grand scope of things from the birth of this nation, what has been, uh, what has come out of it, aggregately speaking, it's quite nice. But what's also happening is corruption, political corruption. And when we see this political corruption, what is the response of the saint? Remember, the Bible teaches us that it's righteousness that exalts a nation. Righteousness that exalts a nation. You see, and we're seeing this rise of the carnal nature. I'm speaking about saints, the Christians. Now, because we're seeing this, now you're starting to see the inability. Instead of being non-carnal, you're seeing the carnal nature. And now we're also witnessing the inability for saints to restore another saint. Why? Because they're compromised through the works of the flesh. It's satanic. Satan knows exactly what he's doing. It's an attack. See, a lot of times when I speak this way about like the Constitution, you know, a lot of times Americans, they get really mad at me. How dare you say that about the Constitution? I swore an oath to the Constitution. Well, let me tell you something. I swore an oath to the Constitution as well. And I love the Constitution. But I don't love the Constitution more than the Word of God. Jesus Christ must be preeminent. Not, not prominent among other things. Preeminent, meaning he is the only one. And I don't say this to, to, to speak negatively about the Constitution. But remember, the, the Constitution is designed for a godly people. I mean, read the writings of our forefathers, if you're American. I mean, if you're not American, I mean, you, you, you might be in a state where you're, you already have corruption. Maybe you've been in corruption for a long period of time in, in, your, in your government and you realize like, wait a second, it's just the whole world is getting worse and worse and worse and worse. But I'm speaking about the carnal nature. And the rise of the carnal nature is now prohibiting, biblically prohibiting a, a saint's ability to correct, mend, equip, and repair. You see, just as is written in verse 1. And it's a trap. And what's going to happen in the aftermath of that? It's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. But there's something different about the remnant. Because the remnant is wide awake. And the remnant knows. And this restoration, when you are non-carnal and if you're not non-carnal don't think like oh all hope is lost because i'm non because i'm carnal i mean if you are not non-carnal don't think that all hope is lost because you are carnal there's something that needs to happen 
Repentance, my friend, my beautiful brother, my beautiful sister, repentance for your heart to be right with the Lord and so rendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and then obedience unto him and then the cleansing of the mind, which is supernatural. Obedient to the Lord in your mind. Obedient to the Lord, meditate on the things that are clean. Don't meditate on the crack and the sex and the drugs and the alcohol and the tax cheat, how you're going to, you know, have some extra money if you just fudge the numbers on your taxes, if you just say this little white lie, if you do your little white pornography, if you do your little white Buddha, if you do your little white Mary, you do your little white occult, your little white Ouija board. No, don't think that. That's the carnal nature. And with the rise of the carnal nature comes the biblical inability to mend, equip, and repair. And look what's also done in verse 1. This restoration, it's done in verse 1 in a spirit of gentleness, which is meekness and humility. How powerful is that? Especially considering how we just studied this on Wednesday. It just so happens that we studied this on Wednesday. Remember? It's not because of your righteousness in our study in Deuteronomy 9. It's not because of your righteousness. How beautiful is this, especially when we consider Paul pouring into the saints and Peter pouring into the saints and James pouring into the saints and the exhorting to die. Die to the flesh. Die to the carnal nature. Remember when when we read passages about death and being crucified with Christ and carrying our crosses the cross is an instrument of death. I mean, imagine if soldiers are taking you, a firing squad, they're taking you outside the city because they're going to shoot you against a dirt wall, you know, a brick wall. They're going to shoot you and you're going to die. And you have a, 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 a group of just say like, you know, 10 guys and they all have their rifles. And then you ask them, you turn around, they're leading you. They're leading you away out of the city because, you know, they don't want you, they don't want to carry the body. They're going to make you walk to there and they don't want to clean the blood. It's going to be in the dirt. And, and you turn around and you say, hey, guys, you know, uh, let me carry your rifles. Let me carry your rifles. Ten rifles to carry. You say, you take your ammo out because they're going to think you're going to use it against them. Take your ammunition out. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to do anything crazy, you know. Take your ammunition out. Here, look, if I do something crazy, you know, you can, you know, here's your bayonet. You can, you know, have at it. And then you tell the guys, you know, instead of carrying your rifles, let me carry your rifles. You see, those rifles are the very means by which you're going to die. And you say, let me carry your rifles. And it's heavy, you know, you get 10 rifles. There you are walking, carrying 10 rifles. People look at you. What in the world? Does that guy know he's going to die? Does she know she's going to die? And she's carrying their rifles. He's carrying his rifles. And then all of a sudden you get to the destination. You give each guy their rifle. You watch them, you know, put their, put the magazine in. You hear the hammers. You see, you know, they say turn around. You know, every every single one of them has a round in the chamber. And you turn around. 
And it's like, you know, there's there might be a little bit of sorrow, but to also have a joy because in less than 10 seconds, you're going to be with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You see. When Jesus Christ says, carry your cross, when you hear Paul say, I'm crucified with Christ. That very cross. That's our instrument of death. crucified with Christ and the spirit of gentleness meekness and humility it's not to be oh look how awesome I am look how look how righteous we are look we're so awesome and look words everything is so good look we know the Bible like the back of our hands and all no that's pride there are people pastors that Oh, I know the Bible like the back of my hand. I went to Bible college. I know this. I know that. Well, that's even worse. Disobedience is even worse because to whom is given much more is required, which means you know better. You know better. I'm not saying disobedience is good, but disobedience is better when you know nothing about the Bible. But when you know, especially what's even worse, if you're going to boast in the knowledge some pa- oh, don't, don't you dare come at me like that because you don't know the Bible like I knew. I went to Bible college, like I got the degree, I went to cemetery, and I know all this stuff. That's even worse. If you're disobedient, that's even worse. Because to whom is given, much more is required. And I'm not saying disobedience is good. Disobedience is terrible. But when we grieve the Holy Spirit, when, not if, when we grieve the Holy Spirit, we learn because there's a conviction that comes alongside that. Where the Holy Spirit says, hey, that's not good. Don't do that. Now, when that happens, we have a response to make. We have, we have the balls in our court. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. And sometimes you have no idea you're in the wrong, but you study scripture and then you realize, oh my goodness, I've been doing it wrong this whole time. Lord, forgive me. You see? And then we move on to perfection, laying aside those things which so easily ensnare us. But absent that, absent that, what happens in verse 1 to the man who is overtaken in any trespass? He remains caught. Now you have a prisoner of war who, you know, on the battlefield has been captured by the enemy. And now instead of one person being captured, now you have two people being captured. You see? And just just like the, the rule of compounding, now you have four people who are captured. Why? Through the, the rejection of truth, the unwillingness to apply truth to our lives, and now you have the rise of the carnal nature, which means that jail cell of the enemy is going to be populated more and more and more why because now more people are caught up more people are pow's more people are trapped more people are captured in trespass you see satan knows this so he likes to lure through the flesh he likes to lure through the world satan knows this He likes people to be prideful and arrogant. Why? Because yes, it's a precursor to a fall. And yes, he's going to get that individual. But he knows that this restoration cannot happen because somebody might be non-carnal. 
And praise be to the Lord. But it's a constant battle. Because all of a sudden, somebody who's non-carnal, all of a sudden, pride might set in. And then pride sets in, no longer meek, no longer humble. And then what else happens? Pride comes before a fall. Now that fall happens. Now that soul is biblically incapable of restoring, mending, and equipping, and repairing anyone in trespass. Because now he or she is a hypocrite if they do that. See? It's a war zone. It's a battlefield. I don't know if if any if I'm speaking to any veterans, combat veterans, and you've seen it, you've been in combat. It's not pretty. It's not pretty. I mean, there's the G- Geneva Conventions, but sometimes you are in opposition to those who don't even abide by Geneva Conventions, and that's even worse. You see? And how much more worse it is on this spiritual battlefield. Knowing that Satan, he doesn't just want to beat you up. He wants to kill you. And he wants you to burn in hell with him. You see? And in this spirit of humility that the non-carnal has. Now, there's the, the, the battle is always raging 24-7. Always raging, always raging the battle, which means we can we always have to be in a state of alertness. The saints, because as is written here in verse one, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. You see, sometimes people say, "Oh yeah, you know, I, surely the Lord would want these uh, 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 these drug addicts to become Christians. Surely the Lord would want these prostitutes to become Christians." And I say, absolutely. Absolutely. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to Jesus Christ. Absolutely. But you have to be wise. Remember, we're called to be loving, gracious, and merciful, merciful, but we're never called to be stupid. We have to exercise wisdom. Because yes, the Lord wants these people who are trapped in drugs to come to him. But maybe that fight isn't for you. Because you get people, oh, I'm going to minister to these drug people. I'm going to minister to these alcoholics. And, you know, two weeks later, two months later, the guy who was the supposed minister is now a drug head, now an alcoholic, now going to the strip clubs, now going to the prostitutes, now doing all these things. Because Satan was a fisherman, a lot stronger fisherman than the minister was. And now Satan has him trapped. Satan has her trapped. You see, that's what happens. It's not to say that God doesn't want good things for all his creation. He absolutely does. Remember, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, Jesus Christ, might be saved. You see, judgment is coming as surely as the Lord lives. Judgment is coming. That's why I like to say, get in the ark, which is to believe in Jesus Christ Receive him and abide in Christ. And if you're listening and you would like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, personal Lord and Savior, you hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. And then you come back and you listen. It's very important in these last days that we're living in. 
Satan knows this. Satan, Satan knows the Bible quite well. And he used the Bible to seduce the saints in Galatia. Oh, look, you, the Bible says you got to be circumcised, so let's be circumcised. The Bible says you got to do the works of, the, of Moses, the works of the law. So look, it's pleasing to the Lord. Look, the Bible says this, it's pleasing to the Lord. As New Covenant believers, we have this understanding, we have this knowledge that the law is the additive. Remember the Pharisees? Well, what about divorce? You know, the, the law says that a man can get divorced. Jesus says it was added because of your sin, because of your carnal nature. And what does Jesus Christ do? He points to pre-law. How, how many wives did Abraham have? You see? How many wives did, did uh, Noah have? You see, he goes pre, how many wives did Adam have? He goes even deeper. He goes further back. Adam and Eve. Not Adam and Eve plus, 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 plus. Adam and Eve. Jesus Christ goes pre-law. Why? Because the law is the additive and the Pharisees didn't understand. They thought the law was the law and that's it. No, the law is the additive. The law was added because of sin. For Israel, according to the flesh. Now, when I say Israel, remember there's provisions in the law for Gentiles. Jethro is an example. You see? Short-term person who was grafted in a short-term. Another example would be Balaam. Believed in the Lord, and then all of a sudden he was condemned with the enemies of the Lord. Listen to our study through Numbers, you'll understand. You see? And Satan knows this. Satan knows, okay, here's a guy who is non-carnal. And he rejoices, he praises the Lord, he's obedient. Okay, okay. And he's patient. And then all of a sudden... He'll seduce into pride, knowing that, okay, pride is precursory to a fall. So all I got to do is get this guy to be prideful. You know, I'm going to nudge him and help him be prideful. And now all of a sudden, the pride sets in and Satan has a big old smile on his face. I almost got this guy. And then all of a sudden, the pride sets in, which is a precursor to fall. And then boom, the fall happens. Now, this formerly non-carnal guy is now prideful, arrogant, has fallen, and now such a soul is biblically unqualified from restoring another person who's caught. Now that person who was formerly non-carnal is now captured, now a POW, joins that poor soul in that POW prison camp. You see, that's what happens. Satan knows these things. And when restoration, when you're non-carnal and you restore, you mend and equip such a person, such a one in a spirit of gentleness, which is meekness and humility, you always must consider yourself. Lest you also be tempted. Oh, but Lord, look, this prostitute, she's hard up. She needs help. And Lord, I just want her to be a Christian. I want her to be a believer. I want to minister to, to her. Look, that poor soul, I want to minister to her. 
It's not to say that that desire is, I mean, if that desire is pure, it's not to say that it's not pure. If the desire is pure. But if there's ulterior motives, oh, I want to go minister to the prostitute so I can become her customer. That's evil. That's wickedness. That's disobedience. But when you consider yourself, Lord, she needs help. And I understand that I'm, you know, I don't want to be her customer. So, Lord, I'm going to pray for those ministry, those people in ministry, former prostitutes. And there's some powerful ministries, former prostitutes who are Christians. And you see these beautiful women, sisters in Christ, and they go and they minister on the streets late at night. They go out in packs. You sleep during the day and then the prostitutes come out at night and then so do these beautiful women. They go out at night, former prostitutes themselves, Christians, and they go and they minister to the prostitutes. You see, they help them. They have little hiding places for them. They send them to other towns because what happens is the pimps, they want to kill the prostitutes. It's so beautiful to see these women on the front lines and the guy saying, listen, Lord, I, I, you know, this prostitute, she needs Jesus Christ, but it's not my fight. I'm going to pray for these beautiful women, these former prostitutes whom you saved because of your love, your grace, and your mercy. And Lord, let them be on the front lines. And they're on the front lines, and I'm going to support them in prayer. They need money to take this prostitute in, in Los Angeles, and they need to send her to, uh, I don't know, Nebraska, a little safe haven because the pimp wants to kill her. Lord, you know, bless these funds and I want these funds to be used to help them so that these these beautiful women saints can say, hey, you know, prostitute in Los Angeles, go to Nebraska. We're going to we're going to shelter you in Nebraska. Other women, other former prostitutes. There's this housing. We got everything. So now this former prostitute can grow and be nurtured and mature in Christ without fear of the pimp coming out to kill her. You see a little safe house. It's not to say that the Lord doesn't want the prostitute to come to Christ. But understand that Satan wants to kill you. He knows the tactics. He's very tactical. He knows how to make men fall. He knows how to make women fall. That's what happens. And this seduction to the saints in Galatia, he used the Bible, you know, and that's what Satan does. Okay, this guy's not carnal this lady's this this lady is non-carnal this guy is non-carnal and i'm trying to get them to be prideful and they're not taking the bait and wow so now what do i do i'm gonna use the bible you see i'm gonna get them to do the law of moses i don't want them to know that it was the additive so i'm gonna send my servants you know servants of the serpent and I'm going to send my servants into the fellowship. We're going to dress them up. Look, I'll give them a degree in, in theology. Look, I'll, I'll make them dress like he's a priest. He can look like he's a pastor. He can look like a, he can look like this and speak this way and all these things. But he's really my servant to bring them into bondage because I want them to burn in hell. You see, he knows these things. But you know who else knows it? Yes, the Lord. But at the same time, the Lord's servants know this. Remember in Galatians chapter 2, we said it already, but I'll say it again. In verse 5, Galatians 2 verse 5, we didn't yield submission to these guys. I'm paraphrasing. 
The guys come in, they're servants of Satan. Now, the guy starts to speak. What is he saying? He's saying, let's do this under the law. Let's be circumcised. Let's observe the Sabbath. Let's do these things. Nope. That's satanic. Are you a servant of Satan? Could it, could it be that you're a pseudo-Delphos? False brother? What else do you believe? You see? I told you about that three three hour, 45 minute conversation. Four hours, you know, pushing four hours. With the guy who was the preacher guy. I heard him give sermons before. Spoke Christianese. And in this three hour, 45 minute conversation, something was revealed. And finally, I just said, point blank, listen, the Jesus that you're talking about, you're, that, that's idolatry because the Jesus you're talking about is not the Jesus of the Bible. He has a big smile on his face and kind of leaned in and whispered a little bit. And he says, I'm the guy the Bible warns you about. Pseudodelphos. Pseudo-apostolos. Servant of Satan. You see? And remember, knowledge of Scripture is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Every single believer in these last days must be a Berean. Must be a Berean and wise. Understanding how Satan wants you to fall. You see? Not understanding how Satan would get men to fall and women to fall. There's that aspect too. But specifically yourself. Because Satan will lure you. Attempt to lure you. You see? And we have to be wise. Not stupid. Wise. Remember, wisdom cries out from the rooftops. And those who are who don't heed the call of wisdom, wisdom laughs at their destruction. That's what the Bible teaches. We have to be wise in these dark days. And so now all of a sudden comes verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. I love this. It's like carry, how it translates, carry one another's weight. I love this so much. And I like to think of military. Because if you and me were in a, 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 a platoon or say we're making a squad movement and we got to get, you know, uh, 200 miles in, you know, in country, uh, no, no vehicles, no helicopters, no, you know, no airlifts, nothing like that. It's black ops, everything off the radar. And so we're humping it, you know, it's like a hike. We're humping it 20 miles a day, 20 to 30 miles a day. You see? And so we have our gear that we take, which the gear could be anywhere from 80 to 100 pounds that we carry on our, each person has their own pack. We have our water, we have our ammunition, we have our weapons, we have our, you know, our, our, the, the, the equipment that we carry. We got everything, gas mask, mop gear, everything. And then at the same, that's just the reg, the standard issue. That's just the regular stuff, the regular day to day stuff. And then at the same time, now we have cruiser weapons. We got barrels. We have housing groups. We have tripods. We have extra water containers. We have extra ammo. We have, you know, extra ammo like grenades. We have rockets. We have all these extra things to get radios. We got all these extra things to carry us. So the regular, regular gear is say, 80 to 100 pounds. And then the addition on top of that is, say, an extra 50 pounds. And we're humping it. 
20 miles a day, 25, 20 to 30 miles a day, because we're going deep in country, black ops, you see. And it's so powerful because, you know, somebody has the tripod and then, you know, the guy behind you, say, you know, hits you on the shoulder and says, okay, here, it's my turn. Give me the tripod. Now the person who was carrying the tripod has, you know, was carrying 130 pounds. Now is back down to 100 pounds or 80 pounds. Lighten the load a little bit. You see, I want to say tap on the shoulder. You have to like run and, you know, tap the shoulder because if you're too close, you have to have like, you know, 10, 10 meter difference, you know, 20 yard difference, 20 meter difference. Kill zone of a artillery strike, the kill, kill radius of an art artillery shell, kill radius of a grenade. So like if an enemy pops up and throws a grenade, you don't want like, you know, 30 people to be dead. You take casualties, maybe one or two. I'm not, you know, speaking loosely about dying, but strategic, tactical. You see, so everybody has their 100 pounds to carry, but then at the same time, there might be an extra 150 that gets, you know, it, it, it goes to different, different guys. Okay, give me the tripod, give me the radio. Give me the water. Give me the ammo. I'll carry it. I'm going to bear your burden. I'm going to bear your weight. Carry one another's burdens. So there's the like the standard issue, 100 pounds. But then when you carry another person's weight, now it goes up to 150. You see? And then say, for example, you take casualties. You take casualties. And now, you know, the enemy pops up and boom, you sniper and boom, one guy falls. Did not kill. It wasn't a kill shot, but you know he's badly wounded. So the sniper is taken care of, and now you have a guy that okay. Now you got he weighs two hundred pounds, big guy, two hundred and thirty pounds, really big guy. Now you got to carry him. No vehicles. You see, we're going deep in country, black ops. No air support. I mean, there's air support, but that's when you know. Breach, that's not now. But when the breach happens, then, you know, air support, everything. But not yet. So we have an early casualty. Now you have his gear to carry. Now that 100 pounds has to be distributed. But then there's him himself. 200, big guy, 230 pounds. Who's going to carry him? You see? Now somebody puts him on his back. More weight. Bear one another's burdens. You see, that's what the Bible teaches us. And so he says this, in bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You see, not the law of Moses, the law of Christ, which is the fulfillment of the law of Moses and also the promise unto Abraham. The law was the additive, but there's also the law of Christ. Remember our study in Romans? There's also the law of faith. There's also the law of love. You see? And love is a gift of the Holy Spirit, the greatest gift. These are all things that we learn when we're abiding in Christ. Not when we're abiding in the law. If you're listening and you're in the Hebrew Roots Movement, you're abiding in the law, you are outside of Christ. It's a trap. You've been seduced to pull you away from Christ. You say, wait a second, I'm, I'm obedient to the, you know, look, the word became flesh and I'm obeying what's written in Deuteronomy. That's the additive. 
The law is a tutor to bring us to Christ. You see, now look in verse 3. Remember how we in verse 1 we addressed the pride and the arrogance? Now we see it again in verse 3. If any for if anyone thinks himself to be something, remember our study in Deuteronomy 9, it's not because of your righteousness, the warning that Moses had for this next generation that's passing into the promised land. It don't think it's because you're righteous, Israel. And Paul says it to the church. Don't think it's because you're so awesome, church, Christians. If anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, I love that little reality check. He deceives himself. No humility. Humility is key. You see, meekness is key. Now we see this in verse 4. But let each one examine his own work. Each one individually. Let each one examine his own work. This work here is deeds and acts. You see? Not, I mean, examine the works of another. Examine the works of a church. Examine the works of a pastor. Examine the works of the elder. Examine the works of, you know, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. No, examine your own. Let each one examine his own deeds, his own work, his own acts. And then he will have rejoicing in himself alone. Now, this verse is going to become even more potent in the last days. Why? Because we know that the church is going prophesied to be crazy in the last days. Remember the four categories of the last days church. It's either false, apostate, entering apostasy, or it is true. Which means the large majority of churches are crazy. And those churches have pastors which means the large majority of pastors are crazy. And those churches have elders and deacons and bishops, which means the largest majority of those are crazy, straight up crazy. Now, it could be like, you know, you might have rejoicing in a fellowship. You might have rejoicing in a church. And if that's the case, that church must be on point with the truth of God's holy word. If you have rejoicing, there's no truth of God's holy word, but you have rejoicing in fellowship, well, that's a social club. You have rejoicing in, you know, being with your friends. And it's beautiful to be with your friends, but even more beautiful to be with your friends who are all in truth. To be with your friends is one thing, but if, if, with your, if you're with your friends on a pathway to hell, that's not good. But if we, if we're, if you're with your friends and you're in the truth, whew, that's beautiful. That's still waters, green pastures. You see? But in the last days, when this verse is more potent in these last days, it's going to be more difficult to rejoice in a church. In fact, I would say, I mean, some of the mega churches, no. A hundred plus, you know, uh, population of a hundred plus in a church? Probably not. I would say maybe like, you know, under 70. It's not just an arbitrary number, but the last day's church is going to be a madhouse. Rejoice in a pastor? It's the majority of pastors are compromised. 
large majority. The majority don't teach truth. They're compromised by flesh. They're compromised by the world. They're compromised by, they don't even teach truth. What about families? The family get-togethers, aunts, uncles, cousins, relatives, all these different people. You can't even rejoice in that alone. Because divisions that have come up in the family. Now, what about the immediate family? When Jesus Christ says, those under one roof. Those under one roof. Amen. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12. And in Luke chapter 12, verse 51, the Lord says this, Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not, not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five in one house, under one roof, will be divided. Three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against their daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against their mother-in-law. You see? It's getting more difficult to rejoice in a church. And it's getting more difficult to rejoice in leadership. It's getting more difficult to rejoice in families. The, you know, aunts, uncles, cousins, relatives. It's getting more difficult to rejoice even in one family unit under the same roof. But even then, you can rejoice in yourself alone. What is written in verse 4? But let each one examine his own work. This is Galatians chapter 6 verse 4. Let each one examine his own work, which is deeds. And then he will have rejoicing in himself alone. And I'll add this. Let each one examine her own work. And then she will have rejoicing in herself alone. Oh Lord, my church has gone crazy. Rejoice in yourself alone. You see? Oh Lord, the pastor's gone crazy. Look, he's molesting the, 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 the youth group. Rejoice in yourself alone. Oh, look, Lord, my pastor's gone crazy. He's saying it's okay to take the mark of the beast because he reads the study Bible. Rejoice in yourself alone. Oh, look, Lord, my family, my relatives, they've gone crazy. My aunts, uncles, grandpa, grandma. Mom, dad, they've gone crazy. Rejoice in yourself alone. You're a teenage boy, age 16. Teenage girl, age 16. Lord, my mom is crazy. Lord, my daddy's crazy. Rejoice in yourself alone. That's what's going to... This is going to be even more, it was potent then, 2,000 years ago. But as we get further into the events of the last days, it's going to get even more potent. You know why? Because the saints are being isolated. We're under attack. Spiritual attack. 
Why? Because saints are following the flesh. They're being lured by the flesh. They're being lured by the world. And they're walking according to the flesh instead of walking according to the Spirit. You must learn to walk according to the Spirit with wisdom found in Holy Scripture. Because it's a trap for isolation. Why? Because Satan wants to kill you. That's why. He doesn't want to beat you up. He wants you to burn in the lake of fire where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's what he wants. That's, that's his ultimate goal. Who's going to let that happen? You see? Everybody's a tough guy. Everybody's a tough guy. But when the bullets start flying, you'll see bravery. Brave, real bravery, real courage is exposed. Everybody's a tough guy. Oh, yeah, I, I can fight. I can beat up this guy. I can do this. I can do that. Everybody's a tough guy. But when the bullets start flying, you see it's revealed where the courage is. And I'm speaking metaphysically. I'm not talking about when the bullets start flying, like, you know, go out and blow stuff up. No. Metaphysically. It's going to get pretty bad. And the church will take casualties. Rejoice in yourself. And not in another, it is written in verse 4, not in another, you see? And this is a danger behind compulsion where pastors like to compel or even, you know, uh, uh, parents like to compel or, you know, oh, you know, uh, you're supposed to respect your parents, so do what I say. The pastor says, oh, look, I'm, you know, I'm appointed by God. So you got to do what I say. You know, if, 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 if you want to be with the Lord and you want to be part of what the Lord is doing here, then you'll tithe a hundred bucks. You'll tithe a thousand bucks. And look, we'll give you this nice little plaque. We'll get this bench and we'll, this plaque will say on your name that you gave $10,000 so everybody can see how awesome you are. No, that's the flesh. Compulsion. which leads to manipulation. It's all demonic. Let's call it what it is. These are things that Satan uses to entrap because he wants POWs. He wants to capture saints. And when he takes these POWs, it's not like, you know, in, in warfare where you have POWs and then there's rescue missions to get the POWs. Now, that happens spiritually too. But the number of people who are biblically qualified to go on these rescue missions, it's getting fewer and fewer and fewer and fewer. And those in the POW camp, you know what Satan wants to do with them? Not torture them. He'll do that too. But he wants them all to burn in hell with him. Now you see, wait a second, this is, this is serious stuff. I, I never even thought of it like this. This is serious stuff. Absolutely. Start thinking this way. Start thinking eternally. Start thinking spiritually. Because it will help you in your walk, in your journey with Christ. It will help you on this journey, understanding that we're not of this world. We're in the world, but we're, we're not of the world. You see? Learn to walk according to the Spirit. Because walking according to the flesh will definitely hurt you, but it'll hurt those with you. Potentially even killing them. And so we see this. 
In verse 5, for each one, individually speaking, each one shall bear his own load. You see, now the mockers, which will be on the rise in the last days, and we're seeing the rise of the mockers. Oh, here's a contradiction in the Bible because he says in verse 2, bear one another's burdens. But then in verse 5, he says, each one shall bear his own load. You see, there's a contradiction in the Bible. The Bible's fake. You Christians are stupid. You Christians are crazy. No, it's not a contradiction at all. Remember the example I gave? A hundred pound pack? That's your load. That's my load. But then there's the additives. It could be a total of 150 pounds. I mean, if you're carrying the big guy, if the big guy was the casualty, if you're on your rescue mission, we're on a rescue mission. The big guy was the casualty. You don't have an extra 50 pounds on your back. You have an extra 250 pounds on your back. You see? People say, oh, look, there's a contradiction because, look, he says each one will bear his own load. And then he says, bear one another's burden. So what is it? You see, the Bible's so full of contradictions. No, you're the contradiction. I mean, if that's you, if you're a mocker, oh, look, there's so many contradictions in the Bible. No, you know what the contradiction is? Look at your life. Your life is a contradiction. Be being tossed to and fro by all kinds of various doctrines. You say, whoa, out there you say that that's so mean-spirited. Is it not true? I've had long conversations with these people before. The agnostics. I'm not an atheist. I'm agnostic. You see? Oh, you Christians are crazy. You're so stupid. There's so many contradictions in the Bible. Okay, let's, let's, let's talk about this. Here, have a seat. Let's talk about this. Uh, you know, let's get a burger while we're at it because I'm, I, I got the munchies. I'm kind of hungry. So why do you, why do you say that we Christians are, you know, crazy? Why do you say that the Bible is so full of contradictions? Well, you see right here, it says, you know, bear one another's burdens. And here he says, each one shall bear his own load. So which is it? You see, it's a contradiction. No, 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 no. Let me explain it to you. Now, tell me about your life. What, what, what brought you to this? What brought you to this conclusion? This conclusion, why Why do you think this way? Do you even know the Bible? Oh yeah, don't, don't how dare you come at me like that because I, I was a Christian and I was raised in the church. Oh, you were really? Okay. Where, which, which fellowship? Oh, we, you know, it's this church and I was taught this and I saw so much hypocrisy in the church. Look, the pastor, he was molesting the kids and this youth leader was having sex with the teenage girls. And there was this other one who was having sex with the boys. And there's this other one, he, you know, he, he, he started a cult and did this. It's okay. I get it. I mean, I'm not trying to like gloss over it and say, okay, no big deal. No, it's a huge deal. And if those people don't repent, if they die, they're going to burn in hell. Without repentance, they will burn in hell. But let's forget about them for a moment. Not that that not to gloss over it and say let's forget it. Let's address you. You're tossed to and fro. Because you're blaming Jesus Christ for the disobedience for of this guy and this guy and this guy and this gal and this gal. You're blaming Jesus Christ. Never take it out on Jesus Christ. What about you and him? Not this guy's interpretation of who Jesus is because he's in crazy town. He's presenting another Jesus. You see? And then you went to this other church thinking that it was safe and he's presenting another Jesus, which is according to a different spirit. And then you went to this other church 
And this other church, the pastor was teaching crazy town. And so you came to the conclusion, okay, I'm done with church. There's so much contradiction because I went to this church and it was, he was saying this and it was wrong and he molested the kids. And so I left and went to this other church and he was saying things against what this other guy was teaching. And then I went to this other church. And so you were seeking, which is a good thing, but you did not find. Why did you not find? You were going to the wrong source. We have to see what the Bible teaches. So when I say that your life is a country, if you're a mocker, and I've had these conversations mostly with the agnostics, and you just say point blank, there is no contradiction in the Bible. You know where the contradiction is? It's with you. There's the offense, like, oh, how dare you say that? How dare you say that? Okay, I get it. You can say how dare, but let me explain. Let's have this conversation. Pull up a chair. Let's discuss this. And finally, the guy, I never heard it that way. You see? These people, these servants of Satan. I mean, it's, it's easy to just gloss over and say, okay, this is a bad guy. 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 But when you understand what these bad people, these servants of Satan, Lucifer, Beelzebub, that serpent of old, when you understand that the ultimate goal is for people to burn in hell where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, eternal separation from Jesus, there's a severity behind that. Like this, this is a big deal. That, to say it's a big deal doesn't even do it justice because it's a huge deal. And yet people are seduced. You see, if you're a mocker, why are you a mocker? Mock no more because remember Jesus Christ. I've had these very recent conversations with the atheists and the agnostics. Very recent. Oh, you Christians, you've been saying that, you know, that, that this is the, the, you know, the rapture. You've been, you've been saying this for years and decades and nothing ever happens. Well, let's see what the Bible says. And to talk to an atheist, a Satanist, I've never heard it that way. I've never heard it like that. And you say to open up the Bible, and we, I opened up the Bible. You know, you had to refer me because I, I dusted off the Bible. I opened it up, and sure as day, the Bible says that. Clear as day. You see? And now all of a sudden, where there was wishy-washy, where there was the being tossed to and fro, where there was the storm, the tempest, now there's calm. And I'm not speaking about an external calm. I'm speaking about a calm in the heart, which the Bible calls a peace that surpasses understanding. Jesus Christ says, I tell you these things before they happen, so that when they happen, you might believe. And that's one of the beauties of living in these prophetic times. Because the Bible does indicate the events of the last days. And these Satanists, these atheists, they're coming to Christ. Believing in Jesus Christ. Wow, the Bible prophesied. I had no idea. 
I was just living it up and living my life. And I heard, I always thought you Christians were crazy. And I watched Tricking Believers Nightly and, you know, TBN. And I saw these crazy people with their fake eyelashes and big hair and, you know, caked on makeup. And I thought they were crazy. And it's like, wait a second, atheist. Wait a second, Satanist. I agree. Those people are crazy. They're straight up nuts. But the Bible prophesies that the church will be crazy town in the last days. But there's still sure ground. There's still sure footing. And it's in Christ. You see? There's no contradiction in the Bible. None whatsoever. And then all of a sudden, look what happens here. In verse 6. Let him who is taught the word. So now we have a picture of the student. Let him who is taught the word. The student. Share in all good things with him who teaches. Now you have the teacher. The student and the teacher. Student and the teacher. And when Paul says here in verse 1, share in all good things. You know what that is to share? It's to be a companion. To be a partner. To be a partaker. To be in fellowship. To be uh, uh, in union and close association and it's close togetherness. Emphasis on close togetherness. It's like a togetherness that's never been seen before. Is to be right beside and complete with the teacher. And that's what Paul is saying to the saints in Galatia. Telling the saints in Galatia, listen, these teachers, they care for your souls. Let there be no daylight between you, the student, and this guy, the teacher. Let there be no daylight because these preacher guys are going to come in to seduce you. They want to pull you away. It's a trap. But yet these teachers cleave to them. Let there be no daylight between the student and the teacher, you see. And even Satan, he knows this. And he, even he will fight tooth and nail to prevent this closeness from ever happening. I have a message for pastors. If you're a pastor and you're listening, my message is this. <clears throat> for pastors, those who are overseers to God's people, be closer than you've ever been before to the flock of God. Feed them, protect them, and die for them. I have a message for teachers. You have no one to cover, but yet teach until your last dying breath in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're neither pastor nor teacher, find one of these. Let there be no daylight between you and such men. Men. The Galatian saints would have been well off with a pastor or a teacher. And it will be the same in the last days. Verse 6, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches the student and the teacher in close togetherness. And my exhortation to pastors and teacher, teachers is let there be no daylight. My exhortation to students let there be no daylight between you and your teacher or you and your pastor. Preferably a pastor. Find a pastor. If you've been listening for a while, you know exactly what to look for. Let there be no daylight. You know what to look for.
And so all of a sudden we see this in verse 7. Do not be deceived. This is to be seduced and to go astray. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. God is not ridiculed. Now if you're a mocker, don't be a mocker. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, there's the, you know, like if, if you're a mocker, there's, yes, God loves you. Yes, he loves you. But he's also not mocked. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. People get mad at me sometimes when I say things that way. They're out there. Don't scare people to heaven. Don't scare people to Jesus Christ. I don't know for, you know, for, for me, Fearing the Lord worked wonders. Fearing the, fearing the Lord worked wonders and works wonders. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. People say, oh, don't, don't tell people about hell. Don't tell people that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's true. Worked wonders for me. Jesus Christ said to the woman at the well, he speaks about living water. But he spoke that way to the woman, to the female. Uh, from a patriarchal sense, the beta. But he speaks another way to men. For me, the scary parts, you know, hell, damnation, lake of fire, weeping, gnashing of teeth, that terrified me. You see, it worked wonders for me. So sometimes the people say, oh, don't talk to people about hell. You know, tell them to come to Jesus Christ because he loves them. Okay, he loves them, absolutely. But when we're talking about salvation and saving, saving from what? A bad day? You know, saving from, you know, getting your teeth pulled at the dentist? Saving from, you know, uh, 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 a collision, a little uh, uh, fender bender. Salvation from that? No, salvation from hell. Eternal damnation. You see? God is not mocked. He says this, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. This is something that we like to forget. We like to forget this truth. Oh, I've sown this, I sow this, I sow this, but I don't want to reap. A lot of men, you know. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Why are you sorry? Well, because, you know, they give all these things. Ultimately, it's because they got caught. I'm just sorry because I got, got caught. You see? So you got to forgive me. The Bible says you got to forgive me. And the Bible says you got to forgive me. And, you know, everything's fine and dandy. And we can go back to living as normal. Everything's fine. And look, you know, you got to do this. The Bible says this. Don't forget the Bible also says you got to reap what you've sown. You see? And part of that is painful. In some cases, very painful. You must reap what you have sown. You did it. You know, it's a, sometimes people get mad. Oh, how dare she do this? How dare he do this? They're supposed to forgive me and, you know, forgive and forget and do all these things. Okay, I get that. In, in one regard, yes, biblical. But don't forget, you have to reap what you have sown. And part of that might include a tremendous amount of pain and hurt. It's not the other person's fault. It's your fault. You see, it's your fault. It's because of what you chose to do. It's because of 
what you decided to do and being disobedient to the Lord and disobedient in your mind and disobedient in your heart. It's because of you. You're just reaping what you've sown. Don't blame him. Don't blame her. It's your fault. You see? Now comes the real sorrow. You see? Oh, I'm sorry because I got caught. I'm sorry because I got caught. Okay, but now you're reaping what you've sown? Now you're going to be really sorry for a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And that sorrow leads, remember, godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. If it's worldly sorrow, y'all, I'm so, I'm so sad. It's breaking my heart. I'm going to go do my crack. That's worldly sorrow. Oh, I'm so sorrowful. I'm so sad. And all these things is breaking my heart. I'm going to go jump off a bridge. That's worldly sorrow. Oh, I'm so sorrowful. I'm so sad. What do I do? You know what? I got to get right with the Lord. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. You see? It's plain as day. We just studied this in our Corinthian letters. And so we see this in verse 8. For he who sows to his flesh, emphasis on the flesh, he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. These are things that were revealed in the fruit. They're revealed by fruit now of the flesh. It's nasty fruit, rotten fruit, disgusting fruit, and it's revealed in the flesh and by the flesh. The corruption. You see it. It's evident. You see it in behaviors. You see it in how things speak. Remember what not what goes into the what not goes into a man, it defiles a man, but what comes out of a man, what he says because it reveals the heart. You see, you have to look at the fruit, the flesh, making the distinction, learning to make the distinction between spirit and flesh. This is of the spirit. This is of the flesh. Now you choose. Knowing that he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. Now you see the depths of this trap that Satan sets. Any man in verse 1, any man who is overtaken or caught in any trespass. Now you see that this POW camp, it's, it's, it also has doors. You see? And that population in the prison camp gets bigger and bigger and bigger. The corruption, the sowing unto the flesh, the corruption, that POW camp is getting larger and larger and larger and larger. And to the saints in Galatia, the tool that Satan used, his servants were ministers of righteousness, presenting themselves as ministers of righteousness. But it was the Bible. It was the law. Had the Galatian saints had cleaving until the unto their teachers their teachers would have told them look this isn't this isn't right that's not what the bible says that's not what that's not what paul told us to do don't do this galatian saints but i wonder if those teachers just maybe had instead of having you know 500 people in their fellowship. I wonder if their teachers, you know, if they had like a little home home study group instead of being, you know, busting out of the seams because people want to hear. I wonder if they just had like three people there. Three people there, maybe 10. Maybe one. You see? 
And Paul says, let there be no daylight between student and teacher. You see? And so all of a sudden we see this, the corruption of the flesh. And in verse 8, but he who sows to the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, will of the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, reap everlasting life. These are also revealed by the fruit you see, and there's even more glory because this, you know, the everlasting life, that's our glorified bodies, paradise with the Lord. You see, in verse nine, and let us not grow weary while doing good. And these are things that are happening today. It's a trap. You're starting to see the rise of the carnal nature in the same. The world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. Galatia is Galatia. I'm speaking about the world today, your world. Observe the saints. You know how in our Old Testament studies you hear it, observe Israel according to the flesh. But I say to you, observe the saints according to the flesh. I hate to say it. It pains me to say it. But yet you can see it. We can see it. People who, yes, love the Lord. I'm talking about the real Lord, not the, the, the different Jesus presented by, you know, uh, the preacher guys who come in teaching another Jesus with another spirit and in accordance to a different gospel. Not that. I'm talking about people who love the real Jesus, the one of the Bible, not the fake one, which will be very uh, prevalent in the last days, the false Christs. But people who love the real Jesus of the Bible observe their flesh. Because you see it. The rise of the flesh instigated by all kinds of different, you know, different stimulus. Different stimulus. But yet you're seeing the rise of the carnal nature. But even so, you also see among fewer death to the carnal nature and the rise of the spiritual nature. Those who are walking according to the Spirit, not being lured by the things of the flesh, but learning to walk according to the Spirit. In verse 9, let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap. Remember, this is those who are walking according to the Spirit, sowing unto the Spirit, and of the Spirit reaping everlasting life. In due season, he says in verse 9, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Translates as if we do not melt or dissolve. You see, do not lose heart. It's very easy to lose heart in these days, but we're living in the days of Elijah. Remember Elijah's days? Even Elijah thought he was alone. He felt very alone. Perhaps even as is written in verse 4, rejoicing in himself alone. Even praying and pleading with the Lord, Lord, it's just me. Am I the only one? And Jesus Christ says, look, there's 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. They're not with you, but I know where they are. I know, you know, they're here. They're with me. We're all in the same. It's okay, Elijah. The last days are referred to biblically as the days of Elijah. So this solitude that you feel in, you can't rejoice in a church because the church is crazy town. You can't rejoice in leadership because the leadership are corrupt. 
You can't rejoice in other Christians because they're becoming corrupt. You can't even rejoice in family because, you know, mom, dad, aunts, uncles, everybody's crazy. But you can rejoice in yourself. Just like Elijah. And what does the Bible say the last days are? Like the days of Elijah. You see? Biblical times. Prophecy is being fulfilled. He refers to the days of Elijah and also the days of Noah. You see? Look at the solitude of those two individuals, Elijah and Noah. Very lonely. You see? Very, very lonely. So if you, if you feel this weariness in heart, rejoice in the fact of knowing that we're living in these times of which the Bible prophesies about. And these things must come to pass. Do not lose heart. In verse 10, we continue. He says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. Remember our study through Romans, you know, living peaceably to all men, living peaceably with all men. But he says, especially or to a greater degree, to a greater degree, to those who are of the household of faith. You see, these are things that are we do in love, which is the greater gift, the greatest gift being love. Do good to all the world. Don't be a jerk to all. That's when you see the rise of the carnal nature among Christians. A lot of it having to do with politics. You see? Oh, I don't want to wear my mask. How dare I wear this mask? And don't force me to wear this mask and all. Okay, you're seeing the carnal nature. But then you're also saying, you know, how is this person doing good to all? How is this person, this person striving to live peaceably? You see, how dare you, you come against my, my rights. I have rights as an American citizen. I have, how dare you do this? Observe the carnal nature, observe the flesh, you see. And don't get me wrong, I'm not like pro-vaccine, just so you know, like I don't, I don't, I don't like the vaccine. I don't like it at all. This is a precursor to the mark of the beast, a precursor to the mark of the beast. But even still, you have to understand that it's a satanic trap. Ultimately, the mark of the beast, which is definitely a, a satanic trap. But, you know, even now there's pastors saying that it's okay to take the mark of the beast. Don't do that. Don't do that. Listen to our study. Do not take the mark of the beast. You'll understand. But there are pastors, a rising, increasing number of pastors who are saying, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. But right now with the vaccine, we're being conditioned. If you've been vaccinated, if you've taken the COVID vax, it is not the mark of the beast. You haven't lost salvation. I love you. But understand that in these last days, we're being conditioned. We're being conditioned. Have you ever, you know, when you see this conditioning, you look at this media conditioning, you look at the 1950s. And you see what happened in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, all the way up until now. And then all of a sudden you realize, wait a second, what's happened? We've been conditioned. And now we're being conditioned to take, look at government mandate. And you inject it into the body. And without it, you can't buy or sell. You cannot participate in the marketplace. Does that ring a bell? We're being conditioned, you see. 
I'm not saying the, the vaccine is the mark of the beast. But we're being conditioned. You see, we have to be wise to the times because Satan plays these dirty. He doesn't play fair. It's not like Geneva Convention's warfare. He plays dirty. He plays dirty. So a lot of times what's happening when you observe the flesh among Christians, the world is the world, but when you observe the flesh among Christians, how is it that they're in verse 10, let us do good to all? Do you see that happening? Striving to live peaceably with all men, do you see that happening? No, you can talk with a non-believer and say, hey, you know, just kind of lean in on a non-believer. You say, you see that guy over there? You see that lady over there? What do you think about him? What do you think about her? And the non-believer says, you know what? She's kind of mean. He's kind of mean. Kind of crazy too. And you are in total agreement. You're right. He's crazy. She's crazy. You're totally right. I'm in a complete agreement with you. But he says he's a Christian. She says he's a Christian. I know it's a shame. You see? But for the remnant of these last days, yes, it's don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Don't grow weary. Understand that the days of Elijah is prophesied. The days of Noah is prophesied. And we're living in these times. But for you, not the crazy person, for you, who rejoices in himself, who rejoices in herself, for you, do good to all. Do good to all. You see, let your light shine. Strive to live peaceably with all men. But especially to those who are of the household of faith. In verse 11, see with what large letters I've written to you with my own hand. This is Remember, this is a, a, a personal letter from Paul. He doesn't have a scribe. He's writing with his own hand. But he has to write big. Some people say he was old. He couldn't see. And, well, he was old. But, you know, don't forget, like when we looked at in verse uh, chapter uh, 4, verse uh, 15, when he says, For I bear witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Because his eye injury, remember, he got beat up. And so with, I mean, if you ever get punched in the face, you know, sometimes it hurts to have your eyes open. Sometimes it hurts to have your eyes closed. Sometimes your eyes close automatically because you've been punched so hard or so many times. They just close automatically. They're, you know, nice and puffy and blue and black and all kinds of different colors. But for the saints in Galatia to say, here, Paul, I wish I could give you my own eyes. I wish I could pop out my eyes and put them in your eye holes because you need to be on you, you need to be about the Lord's business doing this you know and preaching and teaching and pouring in you need to be doing this and I wish I could give you my own eyes and Paul even acknowledges I have therefore he says in, in, in verse 15 chapter 4 he says if possible you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me the love that the reciprocal love that Paul had for the saints and that the saints had for Paul even though Paul was a little hardcore with them. Remember, he says, foolish Galatians. Foolish Galatians in chapter 3, verse 1. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? And yet you see, see with what large letters I have written. See what, in verse 11, chapter 6. What large letters I have written to you with my own hand. And if you're, you know, if, if, if your eyes have been, if you've ever been punched or maybe you got your eyes checked and they've been dilated, you know. And if you were to handwrite a letter, you got to write big so you yourself can see. 
And he says this in verse 12, as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised. It's so sad here because these servants of Satan, the preacher guys come in to bring in, they attempt to bring into bondage. Oh, let us all be circumcised. Oh, let's do these works of, let's observe the Sabbath, the days, the feasts, the years. The Let's observe all these things just as Moses wrote. And Paul says about these people, they make a good showing in the flesh. Now, this is for showing. It's like to be on display. Like if you and me were to go to a car show, you know, and you see a car there, everything's nice and shiny. And it's you got the mirrors on the floor because you can see the underbelly. You see how everything's nice and polished and chromed out everywhere. And you can see that the hood's open. You can see everything. They got the doors open so you can see inside. Look at the fabric and the you know, the uh, everything that's, you know, the sewn together on the seats and all, everything just polished. It's on display. But the same exact concept goes to these false teachers who desire to make in verse 12 a good showing, a good display, but it's in the flesh. Oh, look, the circumcision. Let's do the circumcision. Oh, look, the feasts, the festivals, the days, the months, the years, the Sabbaths. It's of the flesh. And such people, he says, these would compel you. See, it's not, it's by compulsion. It's by compulsion. You got to do this. You got to do this. You got to get circumcised. You got to do the Sabbath. It's by compulsion. These would compel you to be circumcised only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. This only here, it translates as merely in order. Merely in order. So they do all these things of, of the flesh. They compel to be circumcised. And they have a good display, a good showing in the flesh. But it's merely in order that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. That's their motive. I mean, their motive is, just as is written in chapter 2, is to bring into bondage. But the other motive, in addition, as a servant of Satan... Is because they don't want to suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. You see, they want to get along with the world. They want to have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Oh, look, we're righteous. We have a good showing and it's in love of the flesh, all these things. And people say, wow, good job. You're so awesome. All these things. And they have a big smile on the face. Wow, look, I have the accolades of men. Oh, let me check my social media. I got, you know, I had uh, 10,000 followers. Now I have 30,000 followers. Oh, look, I'm an influencer. I have all these things. Now instead of 30,000, I have, you know, 200,000. Now I have a million followers. Look, I'm an influencer. Look how awesome I am. But when it comes time to suffer persecution for Jesus Christ, no way. I don't want to do that because no way. I want to look like I'm holy, but no. You see, I'm referring to these people, these pseudodelphos, people who maybe they've counted the cost. Maybe they didn't count the cost, but I have a hunch they've counted the cost but they don't want to pay the price. You see? Because when you walk with Christ, I tell you the truth. When you walk with Christ, the world will hate you. You see? And Jesus Christ says, 
Remember, they hated me first. How powerful is that for the remnant believers of these last days who are, and I've had these conversations with men and women of the last days, like, it's growing weary. But to remember the words of our Lord himself when he says, remember, they hated me first. You see? And they killed him. These people, these pseudodelphos, they come in to bring into bondage. But everything is of the flesh. They want a good showing. They want to have a nice display like that car show, you know, the hood open, everything bright and polished and everything looks nice. But except they want to use the flesh. Oh, look at all these followers I have. Look, they're all circumcised. All the males are circumcised. And it's impossible for the females to be circumcised. Well, because you know why. It's impossible for the females to be circumcised. And look, all of us, male and female, we're doing the Sabbaths, we're doing the feasts, the years and festivals, we're doing all these things. Wow, look how awesome we are. You see? It's of the flesh. It's all of the flesh. In Christ, it's the only way a female can be circumcised because it's of the heart. It's not of the flesh. It's of the spirit. Listen to our study through Romans. You'll understand. And he says this in verse 13, for not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Remember the beef that Paul had with Peter? Our fathers couldn't even keep the law, observe the law. And why do you, you, you compel them to observe the law? No, we couldn't even do it. There was only one who did. Jesus Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. You see, everything is carnal. Everything is of the flesh, the flesh, the flesh. Where is the spirit? Where is the spirit? Where are those who are walking according to the spirit? Where are those who have eyes to see and ears to hear and understand these things? Where are the teachers? For these saints in Galatia, they were listening to the wrong people. The car show, the people who say, oh yeah, come look at this. Look, I'm an influencer. I got all these people circumcised. We all do the Sabbaths and look how awesome I am. I got, uh, you know, 50,000 followers, 100,000 followers on social media. Look how awesome I am. But meanwhile, the godly teacher, maybe a little home fellowship, five people. And Paul says, no, you guys got it wrong. You saints in Galatia, cleave to this teacher. You see, be it's to be in close togetherness with your teacher. My exhortation in these last days, find a godly pastor, a godly teacher. And let there be no daylight between you and him. Because these days are evil. These days are treacherous. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. You see? This boasting that these pseudodelphos have, it's all of the flesh. You see? It's all of the flesh. Oh, but he's a pastor. Oh, he's a preacher guy. Look, he went to seminary. Look, he has his degree in theology. That's nice. That's nice. What is he teaching? You see? 
Oh, look, he's got his degree in theology. That's nice. But he's saying it's to take the mark of the beast and you'll be okay? That's wrong. He wants you to go grave soaking? That's wrong. He teaches replacement theology? That's wrong. He's a money preacher? That's wrong. You see? Cleave to the teacher. In verse 14, in closing, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember when Paul boasted in, in Corinth? To get up on a little pedestal, not for the sake of being on a pedestal, but to jolt everybody and say, hey, don't listen to these guys. And he boasts, since you guys are boastful, I'm going to boast a little bit. But his boast was in Christ. He says in verse 14, God forbid that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom, speaking of Jesus, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You see? Remember, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Looking forward to death. <laughs> the world is dead to me, Paul is saying. And you know what? I am dead to the world. A lot of Americans will hate me when I say this. And I, I teach from America. I'm an American citizen. I swore an oath to the Constitution. And I love the Constitution, but not more than that of Jesus Christ. When you're crucified in Christ, you're dead. When you're crucified in Christ and crucified with Christ, that means you're dead. Now, let me ask you a question. What rights do the dead have? Straight up, point blank. What rights do the dead have? Carnality. The carnal nature, the flesh. It will hurt badly. And even more so in these last days, as we get further in the last days, it will hurt badly. It will hurt those with you and it will be deadly to you and deadly to those with you. The flesh absolutely has an inward danger. I mean, like if you're like a former drug addict and you believe in Jesus Christ, you know, now you have this, this Pandora's box, so to speak, that must stay closed. It must stay closed. You see? And only the Lord can kill it. Only the Lord can get rid of it. But you have to give it to the Lord. But now you have this, like in verse 1, speaking about this aspect of spiritual warfare, you know, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And if you have this prior propensity to any kind of work of the flesh in this carnal nature, then you just have to step aside and say, look, this, I'm going to pray and I still have more dying to do. You see? But when you reach death, carrying your cross, reckoning the old man dead, reckoning the old woman dead, when you reach death, What rights do the dead have? You see? And there's that inward danger that the carnal nature will always pose. But yet we have to lay those things aside, the things which so easily 
Not the things which ensnare us, the things which so easily ensnare us. You see? But don't forget the outward danger of what the carnal nature presents. The inward danger, meaning, you know, the lust of the flesh and fulfilling the desires and the passions of the flesh. But where that leads, there's the external danger, which is, you know, like if it's a sexual nature, you know, you're you're led by the lust of the flesh to do the prostitutes and the strippers and do all these things. Now, all of a sudden, you got AIDS, you're going to be dead in, you know, a year. You see, there's the outward too. There's the inward, what happens inside. And then there's the external, what happens outside. Not good. These are things which are going to be amplified in the last days. And walking according to the flesh will be devastating to you and those with you. Learn to walk according to the Spirit. The dead have no rights. We have to be, get very comfortable. I mean, in previous generations, you know, oh, we're, we're in this world, but not of this world. This place isn't our home. We're just passing by. Very easy to say in previous times. But it's more difficult to say in these last days to those who have roots in this world. You see, we have to start being eternally minded, spiritually minded, understanding that absolutely this place isn't our home. Because we're a last day's generation. And now all of a sudden we get to the end here in verse 15. For in Christ, emphasis on in Christ, not outside of Christ. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. This is in Christ. And if you are abiding in the law of Moses, you are outside of Christ, which means this new creation, it doesn't apply to you when you are outside of Christ. It only applies to you when you are abiding in Jesus Christ. A new creation. Not the old. Oh, Horeb. Look at Horeb, Horeb, Horeb. The mountain of death? That Horeb? What about the mountain of life? The better mountain. The Jerusalem above Zion. You see? Verse 16, and as many as many as walk according to this rule, this is canon, canon in the Greek, where you get the word canon, the full canon of the the canon of the word of scripture, the truth of scripture, the rule and the standard. As many as walk, not who say they walk, no, those who actually walk, those who walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. Peace and mercy be upon them. You see? And these are things that the law cannot do. The law has an inability, inability to bring this peace and mercy because it's inside the heart, inside the mind. But yet the spirit can. Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Understanding, listen to our study through Romans 11, that all Israel shall be saved. Paul says this in verse 17, from now on, let no one trouble me. It's like, whoa, that's hardcore. 
Paul is saying, let no one trouble me. Absolutely. Because remember in chapter 5, verse 21, Paul says, you know, I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past. So it's repetitive. He's told them this before. He's told them this before. And now he's saying, listen, don't come to me with that. Don't trouble me with this anymore. Go to your teacher. Cleave to your teachers. Let there be no daylight between you and your pastor, you and your teacher, preferably the pastor. If you don't have a pastor, you don't have a teacher, find one. Using the Bible, being a Berean and understanding what the Bible says are the qualifications for a pastor or a teacher. The biblical qualifications. Don't settle. The days are too evil to settle. Cleave to your pastor. Cleave to your teacher. Why? Because they care for your soul. The other ones, the ones who are of a different spirit, they don't care for your soul. They care about their wallets. They care about their belly. They care about, they boast in the in the flesh. They boast, you know, like in verse 13, that they may boast in your flesh. They Things on full display. But it's the things of the flesh. In verse 12, they have a good showing in the flesh. But those of the spirit, the spirit of our Lord, they care for your souls. And Paul says in verse 17, let no one trouble me. For I bear, I sustain in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. You see. I bear, I sustain in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Remember, a slave is not greater than his master. And I'll add this. A slave is not greater than her master. You consider the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't forget the suffering of the saints. And if you're a pastor, if you're a teacher, Paul here as a pastor teacher, he says, I sustain in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus, the punches and the scars of the Lord Jesus. The long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. And Paul feels that suffering. Remember who he's speaking to in chapter 4, verse 19. My little children, he says. These are, biologically, these aren't his kids. But he says, my little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed. And he's male. He's a male and he's speaking about going into labor. He's speaking about labor pains. You see, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ. That's whom he's speaking to, the saints in Galatia. Not his bio biological children, but they're like his spiritual children. And yet he says, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. I wonder how Paul felt when he heard what was happening to the saints in Galatia, maybe a runner came from the region of Galatia and Paul says, oh, tell me how, how are they doing over there? Oh, they're, I think they're doing okay, but these guys came in and they started being circumcised and that, that word circumcision, all of a sudden, Paul's kind of like really, really concerned because he remembers the the, the first Hebrew Roots movement that happened 
when he went to the council in Jerusalem. The Pharisees who took it upon themselves. And then the runner starts explaining. Oh yeah, there's this. And they're observing the Sabbath. I wonder how Paul, I bet you he fell on his face weeping before the Lord. Oh Lord, my children. My beautiful, beautiful children, Lord. I gave birth to them. They're walking according to the flesh. They're being led away. They're walking according to the flesh. Suffering. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus, you see. Remember, never forget, a slave is not greater than his master. A slave is not greater than her master. Brethren, he says in verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, be with your spirit. Amen. And we're going to end our study here. And Lord willing, start in the book of Ephesians next week. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.